0: This episode releases on Valentine's Day. Admittedly, we're usually a couple of lads in the studio, yet we have noticed that for a lot of fantastical fiction, and especially traditional Christian-made fiction, every day is Valentine's Day. You get fantasy romance, fairy tale romance, by a superhero romance, prairie romance, cozy historical romance, Amish fantasy romance, and fairy tale, cozy, historical, cozy, detective, cozy, mystery, historical, Amish fantasy romance on the prairie. So, all jokes aside, why all the romance? And will we spend a whole episode making fun? No way. It's Valentine's Day. We're going to celebrate. Let's explore why Christian readers fall in love with all these fictional romances. Welcome back to Fantastical Truth, the affectionate podcast from lorehaven.com in which we explore fantastical stories, including romance, for God's glory, and apply their meanings to the real world. I'm E. Stephen Burnett, Lorehaven's publisher, happily married, and the co-author of The Pop Culture Parents.
1: And I'm Zachary Russell, wondering, is this going to be a kissing book? And this is episode 149, Why Do Christian Fiction Fans Love So Much Romance?
0: So my wife is downstairs, so no, it is not going to be a kissing book at this time. (laughs) And even then, y'all don't need to see any of that. We try to keep things PG rated around here. Uh, Zach, what are you and Naomi planning to do for Valentine's Day, if anything?
1: Oh, man, I'm, I'm so busted right now because I don't have a restaurant reservation. And we just realized recently that next week or that you know today now that as this publishes is Valentine's Day. So hopefully I've figured something out by the time this publishes. We have kind of low expectations this year because of a lot of house disasters we're dealing with from the Texas ice storm. But one new tradition we did start recently was instead of getting cards for anniversaries, Valentine's day, we bought these fancy journals and that's what we're going to write our little messages into each other, which kind of forces us to be creative and not just find a really nice poetic card and just write, you know, love from me. Uh, we actually have to think about what we want to say. And so that's kind of our little tradition and we're going to, go out and let the teenagers take care of the little kids and uh, just have an evening to ourselves. Maybe at McDonald's, uh, hopefully not.
0: (laughs) That sounds like a fantastical idea, and I wish that I'd thought of it. Oddly enough, this morning, my wife and I, just this very morning, we're talking about Valentine's Day next week as well, and we've decided that we're really just not going to do a whole lot. And folks, uh, especially the uh, lads out there, I don't think this is one of those She says she doesn't want to do anything, but she actually does things like we really are feeling like, well, let's just do something special. We don't need to give uh, gifts or anything. We can instead do some quality time, uh, maybe go out to eat, maybe not, uh, maybe watch a special movie, maybe not. Uh, But either way, we're going to have all the romantical stuff in the live action world uh, as opposed to the fictional world. Uh, And yet, the intersection of both of these is our topic today. Why do Christian fiction fans love so much romance? Uh, And I'll say that uh, it is kind of ironic that it is two dudes in the studio. I'm going to check our privilege here. I know that this can be associated with, oh, just women readers like this sort of thing. Fictional romance is for girls. That's all girly stuff. Well, please try not to be so sexist. Uh, Male readers can like some romance, too. But I think, uh, as we'll see in our three chapters of discussion here, that we have very loosely planned, unlike our Valentine's Day activities. Uh, men, I think, like romance and fiction, generally, generally, uh differently than general female readers do so much generalization. I guess we'll have to get out the concessions in just a moment.
1: yeah, stephen i've I've always been kind of a romantic. i'm I'm comfortable saying that. And we'll we'll talk about some of the movies and, and books that we've all read and that we both read and and there's some that um, when I mention one you will hear the soundtrack in your head it's already been in my head uh, the whole morning as I've been thinking about this podcast uh, so yeah I I'm not really opposed to well kissing books I guess but again I, I like it a little light little PG I guess but I I've always uh, I've always liked the idea of Valentine's Day even now, <laughs> I am someone who's a little cynical about things and I uh, you know, I grew up with the Simpsons. That's kind of my my bread and butter and there was a great episode where the executives of a greeting card company say, "Hey, we need another holiday to kind of, you know, make ends meet. Uh, let's come up with something." And one guy says, "Why don't we just call it Love Day?" And they're like, "No, that's really dumb. Let's think of something better." And then the next scene marge simpson and she goes happy love day <laughs> so i i very much kind of lean that way i i think a lot of things are just uh conspiracies by big paper and by big flower again naomi and i are pretty simple we we try to ignore all that we try to just use it as an excuse to get away and spend time together because that's what that's what it's about for me it's not about the pomp and circumstance it's been about the shared life together. As We had Parker J. Cole on several episodes ago to talk about the idea of romance. Why are romance stories themselves fun? And she said, it's the journey of being together. And I, I think that's, that's what everyone wants. Everyone wants to be known and, and to know another intimately.
0: I think that was the episode where I was actually stuck in a jar because of a recording glitch, uh, which does illustrate, (laughs) again, the importance of planning. Uh, And speaking of planning and that episode, Zach, uh, we're actually going to or I've I've started a new series. uh, The name debuts with this episode, uh, Fantastical Love, and we don't have any other episodes assigned to this category. So I'm just going to go back and get that episode with uh, Parker uh, as red-con well as our, yeah exactly it's, it's <laughs> retconned as now part of the series all along we did something uh, similar with the armies of the alien series and uh, listened to the end of this episode for an update about that yeah Parker was in the studio back in August as well uh, talking about why secular readers tried to cancel a Christian historical romance novel and I appreciated that counterintuitive approach that we took because uh, you heard earlier a faithful listener Zach's saying that he's not opposed to romance in fiction. Uh, But Zach, I'm looking at the wall behind you uh, and I don't necessarily see uh, your shelves full of romantic fiction paperbacks. (laughs) uh, Steamy or cleany or otherwise. Uh, There's already a difference in approach to uh, the general male and female reader, uh, which I think leads me to our concession stand, which will be a very short stop because I'm just stopping by here, not necessarily to get Uh, some uh, concessions as in a metaphor, but actual concessions because it's Valentine's day. Uh, We're going to break out the chocolates. We're going to break out those um, weird uh, little chocolate men uh, with the boxer shorts. No, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. That's just, that's just kind of freaky and (laughs) and, and kind of uh, kind of uh, sus actually, but I am going to get out those uh, candy hearts. uh, The ones that have been stamped out at the chalk factory and inserted with minimal sugar, uh, the ones with all the sentimental sayings on them, uh, this one here says, be mine. Uh, this one here says, for you. Uh, and this one over here says, something that I cannot repeat on air. And this one over here is just disgusting. And this one over here says, outlook hazy, try again. So that's enough of these uh, weird little chalky uh, saccharine hearts. Uh, I'm not a sentimentalist, but uh, I think I can play along with the whole idea of Valentine's Day concessions for this episode. Hey, speaking of kings that need to take care of their queens for Valentine's Day, let's go to our first sponsor for this episode, returning champion Sky Turtle Press. They're still having their fundraiser for The Fairy Queen, the new text Faithful Prose adaptation. C.S. Lewis says, The Fairy Queen never loses a reader it has once gained. Once you have become an inhabitant of its world, being tired of it is like being tired of London or of life. Edmund Spencer's The Fairy Queen is being adapted into a new text, faithful line by line prose rendering of his epic poem, introducing new readers to Edmund Spencer's enthralling world of monsters, enchanted forests, witches, and brave but fumbling knights. This one was originally published in the 1590s, but to help readers overcome the difference between today's and those languages, classical educator rebecca k reynolds worked with elizabethan scholars to produce an annotated rendering this moves from heavy assistance in book one toward more of spencer's language in book six sky turtle press is sponsoring this episode and they're publishing the fairy queen they launched their kickstarter about a month ago and soon it will be over and they're going to release that collection in september of 2023 I just stopped by the fundraiser over at Kickstarter. It is now past $200,000 uh, with over 1,300 backers. So that's going to be really fun to see what they come up with for the Fairy Queen. You can support that Kickstarter if it's still active by the time you hear this episode, or go to fairyqueen.com, get more information in our show notes for episode 149, or go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. Zach, uh, first question here, open discussion as we snack on these gross little hearts. Uh, which romantic fiction ugh, have we read or seen? The ich was for the heart, not the romantic fiction. I'm behaving <laughs> here. I'm enjoying this topic.
1: It's Valentine's Day. Okay, so actually before we get into that, I have to comment about the little chalky hearts that you mentioned. This is a little difference in our childhoods, but I was in public school and Valentine's Day was a big deal in elementary school where you would pass around little chalky hearts or little cheesy greeting cards and man, just again just as a romantically minded young little boy i i was really touched when a girl i liked gave me one of those cards with one of those hearts now she gave it to everyone else in class because that's what you do you just it was absolutely
0: meaningful in your
1: case (laughs) yes yes and again it's very much invoking a simpsons episode where lisa gives ralph Wig him a little card that says "I chew, chew, choose you," and then he's just smitten for the rest of his life with with Lisa. When I think of Valentine's Day, I think of awkward situations like that when you're a kid or a teenager of just like, oh, does does he like me? Does she like me? You know, what does this mean? And I feel for kids today that you know they'll they'll never know that because they're too busy trying to figure this out on TikTok or something. But Those little hearts and those little pre printed cards. I mean, it was like a a mystery to decipher. But in terms of actual stories, you know, that you can go watch and read. Well, I mentioned Princess Bride at the beginning. Uh, That was probably my first movie to see that had, you know, obviously a very main plot dealing with romance. My sister and I, growing up and our friends, we watched that movie so many times. I mean, it's just got everything it's got sword fights, it's got you know, monsters. It's got uh, miracles, ma- even. miracles. Yeah. And, and then it's obviously got kissing scenes. It's got romance and it, you know, rescuing a princess and, and fighting the villain and bravery and chivalry and, and all those kind of things in comedy. It's an amazing story. And I, yeah, I, I was kind of like the the grandson by the end. It's like, okay, I don't really mind the, the kissing scene. I, I don't really mind the romance. Cause of course it's very PG as well. And it, yeah, that that was kind of my earliest one. Now, the the second one I'll, I'll mention, then I'll pass it off to you. And this is the one I said that I, I can already hear the soundtrack in my head as I think about this. And, and maybe you, dear listener, will, will recognize this as well. It's The Last of the Mohicans. Again, maybe not overtly a romance story, but very much a central theme of that story. You've got uh Daniel Day Lewis, this character who's uh kind of been uh, sort of adopted by this the the Mohican people. And then the, uh, the English woman that he falls in love with. There's a whole song that goes with it. I I will always find you and you know, I'm not going to sing it, (laughs) but you may be singing that in your head now, dear listener, because that soundtrack, I, I listened to that on repeat back when we had CDs. I've always been someone that likes movie soundtracks anyway, but that soundtrack is just fantastic. That came out when I was, uh, I guess in middle school it may have been the first, you know, I just looked it up. That, that movie was rated R. I mean, it was very violent. Obviously yeah, you
0: were the cool edgy nineties <laughs> kid passing out Valentine's to strangers watching my well, movies.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was Madeline Stowe, I think was the woman he, well, that's the actress, uh, Cora. Oh man, I, I may be getting this wrong. It's been so long uh, since I've seen this, but yeah, it was uh, Hawkeye or, or Nathaniel Poe was the character's name that played by Daniel Day-Lewis and then there's uh, Alice Munro and I believe she fell in love with the other younger Mohican guy. I guess I didn't totally understand it's like why are they falling in love and why is he trying to defend her and what you know th- th- there was a lot of subtlety I I feel like to it as a middle schooler I didn't quite pick up on but the fact that he was fighting for something. So this is uh, a little preview of what I'm going to talk about later but I, I like those movies where the romance is intertwined with some kind of adventure or action or kind of hero story uh, where they're, they're having to fight for that person they love and, and fight bad guys or fight some kind of you know, monster or evil system. I, I think that combination works really well for me. And I, I think for most men, I, I think it's the, uh, the pure romance, maybe where it's just kind of costume drama maybe that's where you and I are probably a little similar that that uh, doesn't quite work well for us.
0: Yes. I don't think it's about uh, a generalized male opposition to romance, but what I mentioned earlier, the word that keeps coming to my mind is proportion. Zach of the stories that you mentioned, only one of those I think is uh, qualified as a fantasy and that's the princess bride. Of course, a right. movie though, not a book. I was racking my brain to think about what arguable romantic fictions I have enjoyed. And so far, only two come to mind, uh, both, both good, obviously one a classic, uh, that would be, of course, Pride and Prejudice. Although I don't know if you can just say, well, Pride and Prejudice is a romance novel. It is a, for its time, contemporary drama That involves, of course, romance. But I think even though it was a bit of a learning curve uh, for me to uh, enjoy uh, the original 1995 miniseries that uh, most fans absolutely love, and and I'm now a fan as well, it was a learning curve. But I think what helped me to get into it is that the romance is not the point. There is all kinds of other family drama going in there. Uh, There is scandal. There's at least one smarmy religious leader type, which is always interesting in fiction to me there are manipulative people there's family dysfunction like all of it is interesting relationship drama stuff uh, of which the romance is but a subset of course there's a few romances going on but also you know austin uh, contrasts the uh, the true love the relationship dynamics between uh, elizabeth bennett and fitzwilliam darcy as well as some other dysfunctional relationships i especially love spoiler alert uh, what happens uh, to the youngest daughter, uh, Lydia, I believe her name is, and uh, Mr. Wickham. Sorry, I just slipped into my uh, Mrs. Bennett voice there. <laughs> we are only in uproar. my poor nerves. She's so much fun to imitate. Uh, that actress does a terrific job. So, yes, you can say that I'm a fan, then, of a story. Uh, if I've seen it more than four times, which I think I have, the Pride and Prejudice miniseries. I've read the book at least once. Yeah, I know that's probably the wrong proportion as well, but this miniseries is very faithful to the book, uh, even expanding on a lot of its key themes. So I I definitely would say I'm a fan of that. But of course, there's no fantasy in there, so I don't even know if we're allowed to talk about that on Fantastical Truth. I don't remember whether, apart from The Princess Bride, I have read or watched a story that could qualify as a romantic fantasy, uh, a, a fantasy novel. Like likely with traditional medieval elements like uh, castles and fair maidens and whatnot, uh, that involves or is centered on romance. Uh, frankly, and this is just preference here, uh, as we'll see at the end of this year, I would say that's one of my story allergies. Uh, it's just not a genre I'm interested in. Now, ironically, right now in the Lorehaven Guild, uh, we are exploring a book. I'm not, the, I'm not the quest leader for it, but we are exploring a book uh, that is fantasy with some strong romantic elements, uh, and it's called rose petals and snowflakes Uh, we had a great review of it at lorehaven so we're going to endorse those kinds of stories but preferences vary Uh, i don't know whether i'll have a bookshelf that are full of those kinds of titles just because of my personality uh recently though zach i did uh you you mentioned parker j cole earlier now parker j cole writes a lot of uh, historical and romantic fiction in addition to liking monster movies so love the combination there and if we could combine both genres I, i might like that even more but I recently read slash listened to uh, one of Parker's recent stories. It was called a match for Bernadette. Uh, And I found the premise for that very interesting because it's historical uh, and it promised not only religious tension, like specifically uh, interdenominational, but racial tension and racial tension is always interesting if you handle it right. And she did, but I did find in the novel, probably 60% romantic tension, 30% racial tension and 10% uh, religious tension. And I didn't listen to it right. I, I I even told Parker about this afterwards. I said, I think I'm not doing this right because all I'm doing is, uh, is uh, I, I like the female main character, but I'm kind of yelling at her because she's uh, kind of this uh, proto-feminist Quaker type who thinks that women are allowed to preach. Uh, and no shade thrown on that uh, doctrinally, uh, but I, I don't think that her opponent argued his case very well. Uh, I think there were a lot of verses he left out and darn it, I wasn't listening to it right because. I was getting focused on the wrong thing, you know, proportionally that debate between the characters, was just the subset of the tension in the book and the, everything in the book, uh, is a modifier for the noun romance. Like every other genre kind of becomes, uh, for these kinds of books, uh, an, an adjective uh, for the romance. Like I, I prefer, uh, it, uh, in, in reverse, or as I say later, uh, I prefer romance as a seasoning uh, as you mentioned, Zach, for the main course, which would be adventure, science fiction, uh, character drama, of course, uh, epic or or contemporary fantasy type thing.
1: Well, I've got two more on my list here that are more speculative, a uh, little, little bit of sci-fi science fantasy, I guess you could say. Uh, the first one is the lake house. This was a 2006 movie with Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock. And it's a, it's a time travel movie involving Keanu Reeves. That's not about, uh, you know, the wild stallions or a time traveling phone booth, which Whoa, okay. are arguably, arguably the better time travel movie.
0: <laughs> See, now uh, I'm imagining a crossover though.
1: <laughs> that would be pretty amazing. But the lake house was a really fun movie. So the, the basic plot is, uh, they're, they're, two characters, Alex and Kate both find themselves at this same lake house, but exactly two years apart. And they're able to correspond to this sort of magical mailbox that sends their letters back and forth through time. Uh, And then they, they try to find a way to meet in person. There's some tragedy that's involved in this, but there's sort of a rescue operation that that goes on. Uh, And then the other interesting thing is that one of the central features of the story is a Jane Austen book uh, persuasion. So Kate uh, leaves that at a train station and Alex picks it up. And I think he tries to get it back to her. It's been a while since I've seen this are you familiar with that book persuasion Stephen? Have, have you read it
0: i've not read the book that i can recall however of course i've seen the movie okay so it, so I'm it is definitely a, a casual of yeah there's probably a few adaptations of that i'm trying to remember if persuasion is the one with steppenwolf in it i mean kieran hines <laughs> uh some of those british actors are all over different uh jane austen uh adaptation versions and i, I forget who's who sometimes
1: yeah but again i I like that, even that element, although I'm not as familiar with Jane Austen, but I I always like it when a movie kind of references or centers around a book, um, that's always kind of fun. And that becomes a conversation piece between them. Now that is more of a straight romance, I would say, although the, the time travel thing makes it interesting to me. And it's also interesting because there's sort of these fixed rules you know, it's it's more fantasy I guess because no one really knows how the rules got there or why it works. It just kind of does. So it's more magic realism I guess. But another time travel romance movie that sort of takes a different approach to time travel is The Time Traveler's Wife. This is with Eric Bana and Rachel McAdams. So this is
0: the original movie. There was recently an HBO yeah, Max adaptation oddly enough yeah. by former Doctor Who showrunner uh, Stephen Moffat. Mm-hmm. I think he scripted the new version of it after kind of sort of borrowing from that trope, uh, for, uh, his version of Dr. Who.
1: Yeah. So this is from 2009. Eric Bannis' character, Henry has the ability to time travel, but doesn't seem to have the ability to control it. So it just kind of happens randomly and he's thrown into random, uh, timelines and, and he's usually naked <laughs> whenever he appears. It's sort of like the Terminator. Now where this gets really weird is that you know he meets his wife as a kid and of course he does not have any clothes and he's trying to I mean he's trying to be decent you know he's not trying to do anything inappropriate but but you know that element on- honestly makes me a little uncomfortable it's it's and a it's little, little cringe weird. it's not the yeah.
0: character's fault uh, but no. the author setting up the situation uh again yes yeah, seems a it, little sus it's for the dramas it's for the dramas z- yeah. the z
1: and maybe it's just because of all the, uh, the talk about the G word in the last year grooming, you know, that anyway, but that issue aside, you know, this is very much a, uh, the, as Parker said, it's the journey of being together. Like they're, they're very much trying to build this life together, but it's sort of thrown into chaos because of the, the random, you know, times and places or that he time travels to and from. It's a little bit like a metaphor, I guess, like for maybe someone that's in the military or uh, a a traveling salesman or someone with just a very demanding job, I guess. It's just always pulled out of his family uh, against his will. But it's interesting the different ways they try to get around that and how they cope with it uh, and try to live with it and make peace with it. And then they try to have a child and that makes it very complicated. You know, it's more of a melancholy story, which I, I kind of am more of a melancholy person. So I, I like it for that reason. I don't know. It wasn't as satisfying, I think, as the lake house and maybe it's not meant to be. It It's sort of meant to leave you a little angsty, but again, I, I like the, the speculative element just thinking like, well, how, how would that work if you time traveled? Uh, Cause they're sort of putting this relationship together very asynchronously. So there's a lot of just very interesting moments in that story, and I I was more caught up in that and thinking through like how how is this going to play out in their relationship, more than I was feeling like, you know, wanting them to be together. But still a very very touching movie.
0: I recognize that I think all of the stories that Zach and I have mentioned do have this commonality, uh, in that romance is a part of and even a key part of the story. But Zach, would you say that it's a it's more of a means to an end, right. uh, not just another genre end, uh, but an aim of the characters? The romance has a deeper meaning, uh, a, a more complex end, whether it's a sci-fi-ish end or a fantasy end or just a historical end. Uh, those are the kind of stories I would say uh, I'm drawn to the most. Uh, as opposed to, and I'm sure there's some overlap here, but as opposed to a story that May or may not have the word romance on the spine so you know where to put it in the uh bookstore shelves or in mm-hmm. the library um, but a book that makes everything a means to the chief end of romance and that there you almost get into uh almost a, a theological issue you know is is love and relationship, even marriage uh the chief end of man and the chief end of a woman and when they love each other very much very much blah blah blah. I think theologically we can say no in, in scripture marriage is, uh, is a means to a greater end. Uh, it finds its fulfillment, and so we mm-hmm. don't want to confuse the means for the ends. But we'll get to that in a moment here. Uh, all that to say, though, that I think even a classical romance where everything is serving the romantic relationship at the heart of the story, pun unintended there, I think you could still say uh, that that is a based story uh, that people need. And by based, I mean just endorsing what you would call traditional virtue. There's so much relationship dysfunction around. There are so many hurting people who have been hurt in their relationships or their parents' relationships, relatives, friends, uh, to say nothing of even more acute situations of actual abuse that I fully understand uh, and appreciate that longing for love and protection that I think both men and women feel, uh, but I think that more female readers it would seem, and I think the stats and the sales bear this out, Uh, more female readers seem to find uh, a fulfillment or a reflection of that hope uh, in a a fictional book uh, that is centered on or includes romance in some way. Uh, Let's move to chapter two in a moment if you're ready. Uh, Before that, though, I would say that if I had a shelf uh, and I had a romance book side-by-side with a dragon book, for my part, just speaking for myself, I'd probably choose the dragon book, and therefore I would choose our next sponsor, The Dragon Slayer Chronicles, from Pastor Podcaster and author Carrie Green. A dragon attack on a dark evening strips a six-year-old boy from his family, changing his life forever. As he grows from boy to man, Hans hatred for the beasts fuels his life's purpose to recruit and train a band of dragon slayers to destroy the monsters. But the beasts do not act alone; their evil masters, adherents of an ancient ancestral cult have taken blood oaths that together they and their dragons will dominate all the lands. Han's epic battle against the dragon masters and their ferocious monsters will test his courage, require unimaginable sacrifices, and cause him to question the justice and wisdom of his creator. The Dragon Slayer Chronicles is a three-part Christian speculative fantasy series by pastor, podcaster, and author Carrie Green Learn more at dragonslayerbook.com. You can see those awesome covers at lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors or get the basic link atop the show notes for episode 149, the Dragon Slayer Chronicles. Zach, I didn't get any romance from that description, and I'm perfectly fine with that, although I don't mind if our hero Han falls in love on the way to fighting the dragons. I think that sometimes you definitely do need to slay a dragon to get the girl, but sometimes you need to get the girl to slay a dragon, and I kind of prefer that order. I do see in my own life uh, plenty of romance, and so I'm not necessarily looking for it in a book. I'm not bragging. I'm not checking my privilege. I'm just stating a fact. And yet, uh, let's move to chapter two here. Why do so many Christian novels, I'd say especially traditional Christian novels, uh, the kind that you would have seen uh, dominating the fiction shelves at a Christian bookstore, like the uh, Lifeway Christian store where I worked in central Kentucky back in the mid-2000s, why so much romance? Why so much historical, cozy, detective, suspenseful, even fantasy or fairy tale? All of those as modifiers for romance, the noun of the genre. I'm going to just go ahead and say it. It's because, and I think the stats still bear this out now, most of the readership for general market fiction, as well as Christian made fiction, is female. Am, am I wrong from what you see,
1: Zach? Like, we've been to some events. It, does this bear out in what we see? I would say that the romance genre is where female readers tend to be more comfortable. Like it's kind of more their natural habitat, I would say. Um, re- really, just stories that are primarily about relationships, whether that is romantic or family, or even friendship, but where where the relationship is the central feature of the story. I I think that's more what women are interested in at generally as a category. I think with men, it's more about the adventure, the action, the conquest, the goal, whatever. And so I, I've heard this described as, uh, well, C.S. Lewis, I think, talks about it as face-to-face or side-by-side uh, types of situations or stories. So I, I think women prefer the face-to-face type of interactions and stories and situations. Men prefer the side-by-side like the the shared activity versus the the shared uh relationship or the shared uh struggle or story or whatever it doesn't surprise me to see female authors even you know creating more romantic centered stories in the midst of fantasy or sci-fi or or whatever and and men to kind of downplay that a little bit i i think that's sort of just the natural differences of men and women in terms of what's actually being published and read uh, you would probably know that better than I do. Uh, but yes, if you just going into bookstores, you can clearly see more bonnet fiction than dragon or spaceship fiction. So it, it's not hard to see that sort of uh, bookstore bias. I guess it's a little harder for me to know what is the actual statistic out, bearing out.
0: So the last time I checked into this actually was 2017. Uh, I had a blog that started a big discussion right around Valentine's day of that year. And I'll link to that in the show notes just for historical reference, recent historical. I titled it, Why Does Christian Romance Outsell Christian Fantasy? Question mark, good punchy title. That's probably why it went pretty far. I haven't checked the sales figures lately. I don't even know if you have separate sales figures for the Christian market versus the general market. But I I don't mean to pick on the Christian market here. And I'm not the type of person to come along and blame the publishers, whether they're Christian or otherwise, for publishing what sells. Like, hey, folks got to eat. This is what people want. I'm not a full-on populist, but I'm also not going to be some kind of uh, anti-elitist activist who says, no, make them get more sci-fi like I want. Like, make them eat their vegetables. Like, guys, this is supposed to be, uh, you could say, entertainment. This is supposed to be recreation, which is a word I like better. Don't be such a legalist about it. And I've, I've been in that mode before. Uh, some people get kind of edgelord about it, uh, and I, I don't want to go there. At the same time, I think it is worth uh, asking uh, for a faith that is not just based on romance and human relationships. Uh, why more Christian readers go that away? Uh, and, and then it's worth asking, uh, even apart from this article, well, is, is it that just men don't read? There's a stereotype. Men don't read. Boys don't read. And a lot of the male authors who write for men and boys, they'll say, well, no, of course men read. Uh, We may be getting some selection bias there uh, because maybe we're finding the male authors who have uh, somehow broken through and found their male audience. And maybe they're more rare. And Maybe there's only 10 percent of male authors, but they're capturing 80 percent of the male market. I don't know. Uh, That gets a little deeper in the weeds. Generally, what I've seen, uh, particularly among uh, some of the the types of listeners we aim for here uh, at Lorehaven, Uh, is that folks who are church influencers uh, or cultural conservatives, uh, they do read. They read nonfiction. Yes, they like the adventure. uh, They they like the quest. But they don't want to read a story about adventures and quests necessarily as much as actually go on the adventure and quest. So they're going to find practical resources. My wife and I were in a bookstore just a couple of weeks ago uh, looking for a new Bible, actually. Uh, and we meant to, uh, sorry, we, di- we didn't get the Christian standard Bible we were looking for in an ESV. Uh, so that was our long denominational divide here uh, between an otherwise solid human <laughs> relationship between Zach and I. But I did notice, though, props to the CSB people, there were more varieties in the types of Bible you could get. Uh, the ESV tends to be, I'll just come right out and say it, a uh, translation favored by uh, Calvinoid types, uh, Reformed <laughs> Christianity, Reformed Baptist, you know, Presbyterian uh church in america orthodox uh uh, some of them like that translation a lot uh, from crossway good translation it's my favorite right now Uh, but all of the bibles were very practical bibles except for one which was the illuminated bible which has these glorious kind of word art illustrations Hmm. and pull quotes all throughout Uh, i do like this new style of bible where you just have the columns go all the way across the page like a normal book uh, and doesn't just emphasize treating the bible as a textbook. Uh, to mine for content for your sermon or the uh, comment section you think you're preaching into. Uh, sometimes you just got to read the Bible in a different way and sometimes you need to be more aware of the narrative and the beauty of it uh, and not just using it as a reference work. All that to say men like the practical tools in their books or they tend to lots of generalizations here. Yes, we know uh, and women tend to like more of the nursery type stuff. Again, generalizations tend to but I'm not just making generalizations because as we see in my article in 2017, statistically romance was at that time, six years ago, the most popular fiction genre. Let me pull that up here. I mean, that was on the books here. Uh fantasy is a distant, I don't even know, third, fourth, fifth, as of twenty seventeen, according to what does it say here? christianretailing.com in a headline, Christian fiction readers buy and read more books. Well, great. Great for books. But here's what they said. Print romantic suspense, 53%. Contemporary romance, 41%. Historical romance, 34%. Erotic romance, 33%. This is a general market survey. Yeah. Christians don't read erotic romance, right? New adults. Oh, I remember new adult. Remember that? That was cute. 26%. Paranormal romance, 19%. I wouldn't be surprised if that was higher now young adult romance, 18%, and Christian romance, 17%. Uh, But pull that out. The top Christian fiction genres reported by surveyed readers were historical fiction, 66%, romance, 52%, contemporary, 51%, romantic suspense, 50%, and then some other genres. Uh, Many Christian fiction readers read more than one genre, but yeah, all the romantic modified ones certainly rise to the top. My theory there, articulated in this article, I'll summarize it here is based on that idea of people reading fiction for recreation Uh, i don't like to think of people just consuming fiction you know like they're shoveling down junk food i I think that's a very unbiblical disrespectful view of stories which are born out of the god-given imagination of human beings uh, and optimally they're using this to glorify him by imitating him as creators they're making their own worlds just like he made our world but these books reflect what we value, uh, the paradise, the home that we're looking for. The human beings are made to look for a home. They're made to try to find a good place, like a a garden of Eden, perhaps a a paradise. And my theory in this article, which I I think I, I still believe, uh, that whatever you idealize as paradise, as a good place is going to influence your story preferences. And that means that if you, as a reader, uh, highly value and find comfort, uh, even a paradise, in love and family, uh, you're going to prefer romance. Because that is how you get love and family. And yet is that I would say, a means to love and family, not the end. Uh, but if your ideal paradise includes these things, but also includes adventure and amazing, unexplored worlds that you can only get to on the back of a dragon uh, or inside a spaceship, you're likely going to prefer other genres with some romance on the way. You don't mind falling in in love on the back of a dragon or inside a spaceship. Uh, But once the spaceship or dragon lands, uh, you're going to start your family while also doing some other stuff. So the paradise ideal uh, is at the heart of someone's story preferences. And I think it's just fine to admit that uh, and even define the biblical origin of that. We are made for that happy world. How do we see that reflected in the stories we like? So I can't uh, nitpick at readers, female or otherwise, uh, who prefer the romantic uh, fiction uh, over the fantasy fiction, because that's where they are happy. That's where they're finding uh, some hints of paradise. Now, then I would go on to say, well, let's trace that then all the way back to Jesus Christ. Uh, Let's see marriage and relationships as a means to his end. Uh, and his end is greater than just romance and family and comfort and those things. But I don't want to get legalistic about the good gifts that God has given us.
1: Yeah, Stephen, you said the word practical earlier about what men like to read. And I, would, I think that's really the defining line. But I think that works for both fiction and nonfiction. If a man thinks a book is practical in some kind of way, if it relates to him, if it's relevant, uh, I think it can be any genre, really. And I think there are some male authors that have really proven this out. Uh, we're not going to go into all this, but uh, I've, I've definitely seen uh, some surprising things happen in recent years. But I, I want to go back to a story I've shared before, which is uh, one of the pastors of my church, John, who got up. <laughs> this is right when we were checking out this church. He mentioned that he read not only World War Z by Max Brooks, but the nonfiction <laughs> sort of book, the zombie survival guide. And he, and John mentioned that he's read both books cover to cover (laughs) and I, I, it was just kind of a throwaway line that he mentioned, but I've thought about that ever since that men will absolutely read something fantastical if they think there's some sort of practical value, like, you know, disaster preparation or whatever, or even, you know, space travel books. If it's like, Oh, maybe one day we'll be living on Mars because Elon Musk wants to Send people there, you know. Will that happen before Jesus returns? Well, we've talked about that before on the podcast. You can go back and listen to that. But for something that seems really fantastical and, and no practical value, then yeah, then maybe it's not relevant. But you know, I, I think men can be just as voracious readers as women when it's it's the right conditions. A famous example of this is the Tom Clancy book, The Hunt for Red October which uh, found viral success after Ronald Reagan was photographed holding this book while descending the steps from Air Force One. Everyone wanted to know, what is that book he's reading? Who's that by? (laughs) And Tom Clancy was not that famous yet, and that's what really put him on the board. The funny thing, too, is I think his book after that, The Sum of All Fears, again, this is very relevant to what people are thinking about, the Cold War, uh, nuclear war, World War III, whatever you want to call it, and The Sum of All Fears had a whole section, a very non-fiction section in the middle of it about how an atomic bomb works. Now, why in the world would you put that in a novel? Well, I, I think a lot of men find that interesting. A lot of engineering types, a lot of practical types, they, they want to know, well, how, how in the world do these things work? How does it blow up an entire city? I, I think any kind of book, if, if a man can figure out a way that it relates to him in his situation, he'll read it. He'll check it out. And that would
0: be practical. And yet, then I would push back against the stereotypical male and say that God has made you. Now, this is biblical authority statements here. You know, God has made you to be fruitful and multiply. In order to do that, you need love and relationships, uh, human companionship, and dare I say, even romance. Can then a romantic fiction book? help you learn how to do that in the real world Uh, maybe some female readers think that i'm not sure that guy readers think that Uh, what can this book teach me about male female interaction well i I think i had some positive reinforcement of things uh from parker j cole's book a match for bernadette there's no spaceships there's no dragons there but there's certainly some human relationship and i would say some useful content uh, but I, that always trips my alert, uh, my silent alarm in my head. And I hear Reaper Cheap from The Voyage of the Dawn Treader say, Sire, we did not sail on this voyage to find things useful, but to seek honor and adventure. That's the point, I think, of the Christian fantasy fan. We're looking for honor and adventure, but that does include romance. So I'm not going to turn my nose up at that. Uh, I just wish that, yes, the romantic was the modifier and the fantasy was the noun. Uh, rather than fantasy romance, you know, when you turn those around, it uh, it's, it just seems a little out of proportion uh, in terms of real life.
1: And and why the lake house resonated with Naomi and I, this came out uh, the year after we were married, our relationship for a good part of it, uh, pre-marriage was long distance. <laughs> we were living in different countries, in fact, and we we wrote a lot of emails back and forth. We had a lot of Skype calls. Um, I don't know that we actually wrote physical letters because that was very complicated internationally, but the the long distance relationship, you know that that was relevant to us and not necessarily practical because we'd already gotten married, but it was very much something that felt um, useful in a sense. it's like, oh, it kind of helped us evaluate our own relationship. So I, th- I think it's what makes men want to be interested in a story, and I think you know dystopian stories are very relevant right now, I think a lot of cyberpunk kind of themes technological society that that's sort of corrupted I think that resonates with a lot of people right now where things almost feel right but not quite you know i I wonder if the post apocalyptic genre is going up or going down right now in sales. we've certainly seen a lot of wars <laughs> recently and in rumors of wars, but at the same time, like we are living in not quite a total war situation Uh, or, or we're not necessarily living under the threat of uh, nuclear annihilation or anything, but it's more of the man society is kind of downgrading. Like I I think about this a lot as I'm driving through town here. A lot of our roads are just in terrible shape and they're trying to improve them, but it's, it's making a lot of things worse. There's, there's like streetlights everywhere that aren't working. And it's like always dark where I drive. And we went through, like I said, we went through this huge ice storm where there were 1,700 outages in our city and 30% of homes lost power. And this seems so preventable, especially because two years ago we had something worse. (laughs) But this one somehow ended up causing more damage. And so the whole idea of like a crumbling society, I think that resonates with a lot of people. And so I've been reading stories like this because I'm like, hey, how do people survive this? You know how do they, how do they get through it? How do they have the mental fortitude to face this kind of danger that that's not so overt? It's not like, you know, a giant spaceship uh, blowing up city after city. It's more of the wow. I'm in. I'm living in the same place, but it's not the same place. It so, something has changed and something is corrupting things and and um, downgrading life. So. To me, those are the kind of stories I want to read because that's what I, I feel is relevant to me.
0: You're responding then as, I would say, a, a generalized male uh, and again reflecting the goodness, the original goodness of male and female as God has created them. Uh, when faced then with the thorns and thistles in the world, you're looking for tools. Uh, you're looking for solutions. You're looking for ways to beat back the thorns and thistles so that you, we, we can continue uh, pursuing our call to steward the world and its resources and yet at the same time uh, you know if that's the the general generalized male response uh, i would say the generalized female response is then to look for happy places uh, yeah. to endorse those nerd more nurturing ish values and is that interesting then to see kind of the stereotypical reflection in fiction preferences you may be looking for more uh, dystopian books uh, that help you kind of Deal or, or reckon with or simulate the uh, realities or a simulacrum of the reality you see around you. Uh, and then the more uh, generalized female reader may be looking for not an escape, uh, but uh, just a reminder of the virtues, the values that we hold home and hearth, uh, human relationships, the importance of those connections.
1: Yeah. And I would even say, though, that this desire to you know, reckon with the world and simulate the these the smaller scale disasters it is a form of romantic storytelling that I'm engaging in. That's true. Because what I want to see is how does a man keep his family together and help them uh, flourish in the midst of chaos or whatever? Uh, Because this is what I've, I've had to deal with as a father and a husband in the real world. Like when we lost power for three days or, or when, you know, we had to rescue other people who had lost power so, you know, stories about these kind of natural disasters or human-caused disasters, what appeals to me about these is or the the particular type of subgenre of these is where there's a family at the center of it or when there's a couple or just a uh you know, right now on HBO, the big story is The Last of Us. It's it's not just about surviving these weird fungal uh, zombies, but it's about this man helping this uh, teenage girl survive and there's sort of this father daughter bond and so it's not just about you know shooting all the monsters it's about trying to protect someone it's that that fatherly instinct and that that resonates with me because man i i think all the time about how am i going to protect my kids from x y or z how am i going to protect my wife and so i'm not thinking necessarily about the kind of the inside the relationship the well how am i going to make this relationship flourish that's i think that's more what my my wife is very good at of like how can we create like a stable uh home situation <laughs> i'm i'm thinking of like well how can we keep our house itself stable and not you know collapse under the weight of falling trees or <laughs> whatever but how can i create the situation where our family can have that space to flourish both husband and wife, uh, parent and child, and, and just having a situation to have love flourish.
0: That's a great way to look at it, uh, not seeing the love story as something you do on the way to something else, but seeing that it all relates to the love story. Uh, I think, Zach, as well, whether it's our life station or just our fiction preferences or both, we're looking at this from the, the vantage of, of two men who are already happily married uh, and already you know at, at least a decade or more into those relationships Uh, whereas other readers may either not be there or maybe frankly they're in a relationship where they're not as happy or maybe they are in a relationship that's happy but they like to kind of replay that original story of meeting someone and overcoming the original awkwardness or even conflict in order to fall in love and find marriage i think that for me just personally is frustrating if the market keeps cycling back to those plots, when I personally find so much more interesting the stories that you mentioned of a husband and wife, uh, two parents, a couple, a family unit facing the world together, uh, where the traditional romantic relationship between the husband and wife is part of that, uh, but is not limited to that. Uh, You may have some other children of varying ages. Uh, You may have conflict with uh, the husband's or wife's job uh, the, the antagonist may be not just their marital discord, uh, but forces outside themselves, maybe even a villain or an evil dystopian government or something. That, to me, is where things get interesting, and I would love to see more of those kinds of stories, but I, I think people would need to be trained to enjoy them, uh, and then you may need to have the kind of reader who is already in that kind of situation and can identify it, uh, but who also somehow has the time to read or listen to these kinds of stories.
1: I just realized what it is that you're mentioning that we've talked about before. It's this is the difference of a Christian story that's about someone being saved versus someone walking, yes, as a new Christian being discipled.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: You know, it, it's that. It's that we've we've had so many stories of someone falling in love and then getting married and then supp- and then it's the happily ever after. But it's the happily ever after, or or maybe not that's the more interesting story. Now we, we've is. had so many of the the prior ones and it just like we've had a lot of stories about someone getting saved and then you don't know what happens afterwards. And so it's the, what happens next <laughs> story that I think you and I want, the, that's what we want. we want to know, well, how do you make this work?
0: Yeah. I just want to skip to the sequel. I, I want to skip to the sequel after the marriage, uh, when they're getting to the really interesting parts and uh, when the drama really gets up there, uh, and the folks are finding uh, career success. They're starting a family. Uh, if it's Christian characters, they're plugging into their local church and then experiencing all the various drama that comes with those kinds of callings. Yeah, I want to know what happens then. And as you know, Zach, you know, I'm trying to make a story that is about things like that. I'm not sure what'll happen with that, but uh, it's it's my own attempt to not just uh, complain about the lack of those stories, but actually make one. And if you too, faithful listener. Uh, are not just a fan of Christian-made fantastical fiction, uh, but may have a story up your sleeve that you would like to get help with making and then possibly even sharing with the world on a wider scale, then you'll want to pay attention to our third sponsor for this episode, the Realm Makers 2023 Conference. Hundreds of writers who create fantasy, science fiction, and other stories will join the Christian-led organization Realm Makers for its 11th annual conference this July 13th through 15th in St. Louis, Missouri. Authors can register at realmmakers.com for the event. They can choose to attend in person at the Sheraton Westport Chalet Hotel or online as well as live streaming on the dedicated Realmsphere social network. Co-owner and CEO of Realm Makers Rebecca P. Miner says, We at Realm Makers have enjoyed the privilege for over a decade of connecting Christian creators to one another and to opportunities in the publishing marketplace. We're not just about bringing expert faculty to the conference for teaching, although that's one of the pillars of what we do. We've also discovered that a writer's success is tied into relationships one way or another. The annual conference offers a supportive environment where authors can take the next step in their creative journey. You can learn more at our February 1 news release about the Realm Makers Conference opening registration. We will link to that in the show notes for episode 149, as well as going to realmmakers.com itself to get that information or go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. Zach, there's lots of uh, romantical or otherwise uh, fantasy uh, from Realm Makers authors or Christian authors, and I see great potential uh, for not ignoring the traditional Part of the romance stories, you know, the tropes, uh, will they, won't they, uh, uh, enemies to lovers, any of those things. But uh, you also see a lot of Christian authors then going a little deeper. And that leads me to a chapter three of this discussion. Uh, open question here Will Christian fans move beyond uh, the traditional romantic types of stories? Uh, I think that as more people are committing uh, on the author side as well as the fans, I think that as more people are committing to these stories, they see them to be taken seriously rather than just a, uh, a side distraction. I would like to think that that will then deepen uh, the romantic relationships that we see in fiction, fantasy, and otherwise. Uh, and I think that, frankly, some deeper theology can help with that, as well as some practicalities we mentioned earlier. Uh, for my part, uh, I do like romance, but... I enjoy that in real life, or I find an outlet in like some of the movies that you mentioned, Zach, some of them fantasy overlapping. You mentioned The Princess Bride. Uh, I forgot to say earlier, uh, one of my favorites now is actually While You Were Sleeping, speaking earlier of Sandra Poldeck. Oh, yeah. great movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. And I think one reason why I like it so much is that as many other people have commented on, it is not just a man falls in love with woman type story. There's hijinks, you know, there's some cutesy stuff. There's even some vulgarian content. So that's why it's rated PG. Uh, there's some jokes about this uh, wimpy guy cross-dressing and things like that. But there's also a really genuine earnest story of a, of a single l- lonely woman uh, who, well, for one thing, she develops this crush on a complete uh, imagined version of a, of a man she doesn't even know. And then she ends up falling in love with his family while he's in a coma because of the aforementioned hijinks that's what i like the most about the story she's falling in love with the family and it's fun you know they're this big sprawling goofy diverse irish catholic type family in chicago but i really like that dynamic there and i think that adds a little depth uh, to while you were sleeping uh same thing with i guess our favorite movie uh that could be called a fantasy romance enchanted uh 2007 from disney back when they were good uh, Enchanted is really great. It's, I'd say it's a romantic fantasy with the romance serving the, the end of the fantasy. It has a lot more going on as well uh, about the fantasies that we have, the fairy tales that we have in our minds, and not rejecting those completely as naive, uh, but also keeping them in perspective uh, with some of the real-world challenges we have. I view those as examples of the kind of stories that I like to see, and maybe there's more of those out there and I'm just not paying attention. Uh, But those, to me, match more real-life challenges, Uh, just like those familial relationships that take place years after the wedding ceremony. I want that sequel. I want that third story that takes place after the hero and heroine uh, get married. And like I mentioned earlier, I think that's why I say that I like romance as a seasoning uh, with other genres. It's almost like how I feel about horror. Uh, I don't read, not that there's anything wrong with this, but I don't read books that say horror on the spine, except maybe Dracula. And Dracula's got a lot more going on uh, than even just the traditional horror elements. Um, I prefer horror as a seasoning. I don't want a whole movie where Frodo is outrunning Shelob and they don't know what's going to happen, You know what's lurking in the shadows. But I'll I'll take a 15-minute action scene of Frodo and Sam fighting uh, Shelob uh, on the way to a greater fantasy adventure that deals with some more complex themes. Switching metaphors uh, for talking about consumption of fiction, uh, I, I like romance as the garnish or the side dish, uh, but it's, it's not, to me, the main course. Uh, it's, it's not the steak or the cheeseburger uh, or whatever is at the center of the plate. And in this, I think, for my part, I'm kind of a minority. Uh, because even when I look at the, uh, a lot of the Christian fantasy titles that sell the most, uh, even the, the, the Christian made fantasy titles, a lot of them, the covers are looking kind of pink and purple folks. Uh, it's just the way it is. Uh, but I can't help but looking at that and going, yeah, if you got a lot of spirals on there. Uh, if it, it seemed to be more a uh, traditional romance leaning, uh, that's that personally is not the book for me. Now it might be some a book for somebody else on the Lorehaven review team. But either way, I'm not going to complain. Uh, That is where the market is right now. Uh, God has made romance, and I'm not going to chastise someone for appreciating reflections of that traditional romance, uh, even in the fantasy or Christian-made novels that you enjoy.
1: This made me realize, Stephen, that I think what I like in terms of romance in a fantasy or sci-fi is almost where it's not the main characters, where it's sort of the side characters and a couple examples I thought of here, and there's going to be some, a little bit of spoilers in this. So if, if you, dear listener, don't want your spoilers, skip a, about two minutes ahead. But the first example is The Wheel of Time, where you've got uh, Nynaeve from the Two Rivers uh, falling in love with Lan. And this really happens pretty early on in the first book, but it takes them quite a few books to actually get together uh, to be married. And, um, there's just so many barriers to them getting together and that makes kind of for a fun story. It, it's a very long journey for them to finally get married. Uh, then there's two other uh, secondary characters, uh, Perrin also from the two rivers and then Fail from the borderlands. And they, I feel like they get married pretty early on in the series, but then they get separated by various circumstances. And so they're always trying to get back together. Um, now she's even uh, kidnapped at one point. And so, you know, and it's Perrin trying to fight this whole army to get her back. And that's, that's an exciting subplot, uh, on the Christian side and on a sci-fi side, uh, the lamb among the stars, there's, uh, two different relationships in there. And again, this is a total spoiler. So skip this if you don't want to hear it. The first one is the, uh, it's the main character, Meryl and a young woman named Anya. And then there's the his sidekick, uh, Vero, and then uh, Anya's sister, Perina. So these two different couples have romantic interest, but there is a much greater story that comes through both of those uh, relationships. And I think that is significant. And I, I won't give that away as a spoiler because it really is worth it to read to the end of the book. But, you know, Stephen, in your article, you you mentioned how when you know Christ has said that at the resurrection, we'll neither be married nor given in marriage. I very much speculate about that. What is that going to be like in the new heavens and new earth where we're all going to be single? It seems. You know, I actually had a dream about this once, and I'm not saying this is prophetic or anything, but it was sort of like a what if. What would it be like to be resurrected and have no romantic interest at all Towards your wife or or anyone, like to have no romantic feelings, like to have that whole ability taken away. And it was a very interesting uh experience in this dream I had. It was again, it's just a simulation of what my mind is trying to make sense of. But I I do wonder about that. Uh now it would have to work that way, right? Because what if uh like I think of Elizabeth Elliot? She's been married. Three times because her first two husbands died, one was obviously killed by the the alka Indians, the, the second one I believe died from cancer, and then she died recently, I think before her third husband died, and maybe Hillary Mary you know and so and so,
0: after the resurrection, <laughs> whose will she be <laughs> right
1: exactly It's back to that you know question the the Sadducees asked Jesus, and so something like what I dreamed about is has to happen where we don't have romantic feelings anymore Uh, because otherwise I I don't see how it would work (laughs) to be resurrected but not allowed to marry. I, I don't think Jesus would do that to us to bring us, to reunite us with people that we were married to if we could still want to be married to them, because then how would, you know, how, how would that work? Okay. I have to be careful here. He's also going to remove the, the sinful nature from us when we're resurrected, right? So th- there won't be any sinful desires that we have at the resurrection. Now I'm not saying romance or marriage or anything like that is sinful, but somehow there's a connection there uh, that th- there are at least just tangentially anyway, there, there'll be no lust. Uh, there will be no, any sort of activity there. Yeah. We're we're all going to be part of the bride of Christ and fulfilled in him. So uh, we won't be married and i guess having children anymore that's going to be interesting now depending on how you look at some eschatology though i think there will be some people on earth at least for some period of time that will be normal humans married and having children like normal humans not resurrected yet not regenerated so maybe that will exist you know i i don't know again your your interpretation will vary there So I don't think these stories are going to be irrelevant at any point in our lives, but I I think it is, you know, worth speculating about these sorts of futures of how these relationships will bear out.
0: Yes. How and whether marriage would continue after Christ's return uh, and the, the restoration of creation could make for its own episode for sure. I'd want to get at least one, possibly two theologians in here to back it up. Uh, Because, Zach, when you were talking about the idea of a a literal millennial kingdom where there's going to be resurrected saints uh, side by side on a proto-new earth uh, reigned over by King Jesus, and yet the people who haven't been resurrected would still have normal romantic relationships, see, I just want to throw all that out for a very dumb, bad Bible reason, it sounds weird. And then I just want to go all all millennial just because the alternative just sounds so weird, like even that, you know, all, all, all praise and blessings to the left behind books for what they were, but the one set in the millennial kingdom, that one was just weird because you had some characters who were like, I feel no romantic attraction to you whatsoever. And I'm like, ah, I just, I cannot fathom this. I, I don't know if setting these lyrics to the music of fiction is what necessarily works. Especially because, as you mentioned, like uh, romance and love and all that, like that is part of the original good creation. Uh, that is how God made men and women going back to Genesis 2. Uh, and yet, God also gave his law starting in the Garden of Eden. And yet, we see Christ fulfilling the law. Christ is very clear about that. Uh, and then you have the promise, and uh, the text here is Matthew 22, 23 through 33, when Jesus responding to, Uh, a trick scenario proposed by the Sadducees who didn't even believe in the resurrection. Uh, Jesus seemed to indicate very strongly that marriage has some kind of fulfillment Mm -hmm. uh, in the, the eschaton, the end times that is the new heavens and new earth, uh, our, our final state uh, eternity. So how does that work? I don't know. It gets weird. Uh, I do know that whatever God fulfills, whatever Jesus fulfills, uh, the, the replacement, uh, the fulfillment of it is going to be even better uh, than what the original promise was pointing to. Just like he himself, the gospel is better than the law that pointed to him. I don't know if scripture draws that parallel, but when you're talking about fulfillment, uh, the Apostle Paul is very clear in Ephesians 5 uh, that marriage is in some way meant always, Here's the Easter egg, the Apostle Paul says, uh, to point to that love between Christ and his church. And uh, well, I might include that paragraph of my old article uh, in the show notes, but just to maybe, maybe wrap this up, I, I draw back on my uh, earlier example of what do you value? Like, what is paradise to you? Uh, is it a comfortable home with a loving relationship, uh, a husband or wife who takes care of you, like you take care of them, and you know that uh, that that equal partnership there, uh, imaging Christ and His Church? Uh, is that your paradise, uh, or is the paradise that future kingdom, the new heavens and new earth, where Christ has fulfilled it? I think that looking forward to that very physical, uh, very real promised eternity uh, will make our human marriages better uh, because we're seeing today in light of tomorrow rather than vice versa. And so I think that may be a way uh, to help Christians uh, maybe uh, expand our reading preferences beyond some of their traditional romances and maybe deepen things a little bit. Uh, if we're looking forward to the the actual biblical paradise, uh, the pictures of paradise we get uh, in Scripture, uh, certainly at the end of the book of Revelation, uh, then maybe our view of the good place, uh, that good relationship will be not replaced, but expanded a little bit. Uh, You're loving not just this ideal of a husband or wife, uh, but you're also loving Christ's church, despite all the drama, the tropes, the enemies to lovers trope, the will-they-won't-they they trope that you get uh, with the church or, or your friends or other family members, not necessarily a romantic relationship. Uh, all those tropes, I think, reflect human reality, uh, but I'd, I'd love to see more stories, and more, more readers demanding more stories naturally uh, that reflect a, a deeper array of themes still related to romance, uh, but not replacing it. Well, that's our view. What's yours? Email us podcast at lorehaven.com find us on the social media subscribe at lorehaven.com you can select uh, new podcast episode updates every tuesday new reviews every friday articles here and there news here and there and of course get all of the uh, the sponsor information too on that page Zach, over the comm station, things have lit up. Uh, there's some candy wrappers all over the place, but uh, folks, folks are definitely going to talk about this episode. But they're also talking about our last episode and some other articles we've had about The Chosen.
1: Yeah, so Josiah DeGraff wrote a great article a few weeks ago, How Christians Can Discern Jesus' Adaptations in The Chosen and Other Stories. A lot of comments and uh, replies there and on social media. And one reply we want to highlight is from Andrew Troger who says, quote, The number one complaint I've heard about The Chosen regards the response of so many people who use it as an aid to worship. Clearly, idolizing a character depicted by Jonathan Rumi is every bit as sinful as idolizing St. Peter, the Virgin Mary, or a painting of Jesus on the chapel ceiling. Idolatry is idolatry, and people are as prone to break the second commandment today as ever just with pixels instead of gold. For this reason, a lot of Christians have taken the hard line with a few subpoints and addendums to the law. Thou shalt not depict Christ in any way, shape, or fashion. Thou shalt not put words into his mouth that have not already been written, nor shalt thou presume him as saying anything not recorded for you in Scripture. Thou shalt not imagine. <laughs> if someone watching The Chosen is a weak brother and supplants his daily Bible reading with binge-watching, then that brother needs to throw his TV and phone in the garbage. He needs to pluck out his eye. This show is not a replacement for scripture, as its director has stated multiple times. Viewing the show sinfully, that is, with an idolatrous heart, is sin. But Dallas Jenkins no more causes people to commit idolatry than Glock causes people to commit Murder. End quote. <laughs> Great comparison there at the end, uh, Andrew. I think these are very wise words, and I think you're you're getting to the heart of the issue here, which is people creating extra laws on top of the Ten Commandments and God's written and revealed law. And boy, doesn't that sound familiar with what we read about in the New Testament and what Jesus Himself confronts people as saying? Now, on on one hand, people were creating laws around laws around laws. On the other hand, they weren't thinking of how deep the law actually goes, because Jesus said, "Well, you've heard it said, "Don't murder, but if you hate someone, you've murdered them in your heart." The law says, You're not committed adultery, but if you look at someone lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. You know the problem is always people not internalizing the law and letting god's word and and yes, his laws uh shape our action, conforming ourselves uh, to his word and and being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And then (laughs) instead of doing that, people add on these external laws, these external requirements for themselves and everyone else, because that seems easier to do. Just, uh, just don't do it. Just don't watch it. Don't even give, you know, the devil a foothold or whatever. You hit the the exact right cause of this. It's this whole concern about weaker brothers. Oh, well, we got to protect the weaker brothers. And and it, yeah, that, that does get annoying when people do that. And I, I think there is a point, there is a certain type of person that shouldn't maybe watch it, should read the Bible first or instead of watching the show. But you're right. Dallas Jenkins is not the cause of people doing this. The show does not cause anyone to do that. It is, as we explored in our previous episode, uh, 148, it is an act of public worship. The, The creators of the show are worshiping God and pointing people to Scripture. They're not trying to replace it. As we explored, they're not creating a chosen version of the Bible. This is a supposal and an imagination about filling in the gaps of the Bible.
0: Zach, in my crankier moments, I think that the, what about the baby Christians or what about the weaker brothers objection, uh, amounts to a sort of low grade concern trolling. Yeah. Uh, that's when you sort of appoint yourself the hero who's very concerned about all those other people out there. And sometimes they've just got a bunch of cardboard cutouts with frowny faces on them. And then they've stuck them behind them in the background. And like, I, I represent these people, uh, that your favorite <laughs> thing is hurting, and then I go. Wait a minute. What's going on? Like, this is just a bunch of uh, cardboard cutouts. There, you put the frowny faces on uh, with uh, with a marker. Uh, now there may be actual people like that, but generally, that person in the comment section is probably using that concern trolling or concern statement uh, as a language for something else. And that's where I want to really get to the heart of it. Like, what is your actual objection to the show? Like, is it a philosophical objection? We ought not have pictures of Jesus. Are you uncomfortable with the idea of a picture that could Uh, Form maybe in your mind or an earlier version of you's mind, uh, an idol. Well, then let's talk about that. You know, and for everyone who says, "Well, I can't watch the show without committing a sin," you got someone else like me who says, "Well, I can't." So we're at a stalemate. You know, and we're just going to have a big experience fight back and forth, or maybe we need to instead go to the scripture and ask bigger questions about how we worship Jesus, whether this could involve any imagination as we read the Bible. And what, if any, role of the human imagination in TV shows has to do with that? That's one of two articles that we've had uh, from Laurie Van Writers. The other one is from uh, Jenna Dick. Uh, the Chosen succeeds where woke stories fail. Another really great angle about it. And Gretchen replied there and said, Excellent article. I've started watching The Chosen while I'm at the gym. It forces me to not half-watch the show in a binge. It's served its two primary purposes. Entertainment that has, as pure as possible for a human-made project it challenges me to go to scripture and really study Jesus and his ministry. That has been the stated goal of the show. We want to bring you back to scripture. Uh, it's just like a devotion, a good devotional book, or for that matter, a good sermon, uh, a good relationship. If, if you show up in a coffee shop and talk with your non-Christian friend, are you trying to replace the Bible? No, but you're also not showing up you know, in a toga and sandals acting like Jesus. So I get that people may be. Uh, a little weirded out by that especially if it's not part of your tradition if you didn't grow up with pictures of jesus in your sunday school or maybe some of those uh 80s kids cartoons on tv that showed some cartoon versions of jesus you're not used to it and you only associate idolatry with that then i get it i get it but let's talk about that and that's what we did in our episode as zach mentioned 148 we had both jenneth and josiah on there Uh, talking about the chosen great two-hour roundtable about the show really great thoughts we've had some really great discussions we couldn't even read all the comments here but zach we also uh, sneaked into one of the chosen fan clubs and with approval we posted uh, the link there and we got a lot more interesting discussion that's for sure chosen fans are an interesting bunch you've got christians in there you got folks who think they're christians you got the stray heathen you got some squishier sorts who are like, let's just all love each other. Doctrine doesn't matter. You know, all due respect, but yes, doctrine does matter. Uh, maybe weird if you think Jesus had blue hair. Uh, but if you think, uh, that he ought to be shipped with Mary Magdalene, then yes, doctrine matters. I wouldn't have been a sin for Jesus to fall in love and make the romance, the main plot instead of the subplot for his apostles, if that, but it's not what Jesus came to do. Uh, he had a more important purpose. Christ's bride is the church. So, fascinating discussion we'll we'll probably kind of seed some of our ideas about that into future episodes of the podcast but way too much to go over now
1: yeah i've i've been really pleased to see a lot of people engaging with that episode and and uh having conversations about it i've had a lot of conversations personally with people about it and found a lot of my friends that are big fans of the show and that's been that's been great it's always fun to get to share a fandom with friends and you didn't even realize you had that fandom in common I'd rather do that. We make our best case for why a lot, of, a lot of the objections just fall short, but it's more fun to me to find out from my friends like why they like the show, what are their favorite scenes and moments, uh, which characters they relate to, and so forth. And this is, uh, this is fandom at its best, or at least it can be, uh, when we get to enjoy uh, similar things together.
0: Let's get a quick Lorehaven Mission update. Every Friday, we have reviews of new Christian-made fantastical fiction that we enjoy. Last week's review was of S.D. Smith's book, Jack Zulu, and The Waylander's Key. You could just hear some Indiana Jones-type music in the background of that one. Uh, This week, we'll have another Friday review, probably for an upcoming release. And if you like romance, I mentioned that our Lorehaven Guild, the exclusive Discord community, uh, is currently in the month of February exploring rose petals and snowflakes. We'll put all those links in the show notes. Not too late to join in. Uh, Tisha Messing is the book quest leader there. Just go to lorehaven.com and subscribe free for any updates that you choose. Uh, And we're working on more timely articles uh, for the site uh, to help with our mission of exploring fantastical stories for God's glory, including but not limited to. Uh, romantic fiction next on fantastical truth it's gotten a little too human in here so aliens now we have your attention oh uh, well, if it's not that infamous and not at all seasonally colored balloon uh, that the people's republic of china sent to america to show their appreciation a few weeks early for valentine's day uh, it's some kind of floating silver cylindrical craft That was also just shot down this time. They actually got it in Alaska before it traversed the entire continental U S this ship is possibly a scout for the armies of the aliens. And that is the name of our little podcast mini series here. So, so for our next episode, we're going back to those urban legends about sci-fi and spaceships and the means that human beings take just maybe to cover these up. Very interesting element there. These often seem creepily plausible, but they cause a lot of questions for Christians. What can we learn from this war of the worldviews? Meanwhile, whether you're in a romantic relationship or you wish you were or are put off by so much romance and fiction, I think we need to keep this in the word I used earlier, proportion. Romance is a good gift of God, originally created good, going all the way back to Genesis 2. There's lots of thorns and thistles in the way, but it's uh, at heart a healthy impulse to want to go back to that paradise, which included a man and a woman created for God's glory and entrusted to be fruitful and multiply and steward the earth. All of it is a love story. The stewardship of the earth, the practical tools we need to do that, and the loving relationship between a husband and wife that glorifies Christ and his church as we continue to seek and find his fantastical truth.